Good morning to all of you. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing good? Doing good? Uh, my name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and really I consider it uh, the joy and the privilege of my life to serve this place, to serve this community. Uh, it's special to me because I grew up right here in Canal Winchester, and so to have the opportunity to serve and be a part of this community, it really does mean the world to me. Now, if you're new or maybe you've been coming for the last couple weeks, you're like, hey, you're not the lead pastor. Uh, that's right, I am not the lead pastor. His name is Pastor Tim. Uh, he's an incredible speaker, communicator, pastor, uh, father. He's an awesome guy. Uh, he's gonna be back next week, all right? So if you don't like uh, the message this week, I won't be offended. Uh, just come back next week and you can hear him. Hey, I just wanna take a minute and look at the camera and greet everyone who's watching online. Come on, church, can we welcome our online audience as well? So good uh, to have you with us. And if you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a series uh, that we are calling Disrupted. And we're having a series of conversations around really how the last two years, uh, normal as we know it, or everything that we kind of expect or have expected over the last two years has been kind of completely turned upside down. Any Stranger Things fans in the house today? Stranger Things? Yeah, we got, you guys are more of a Stranger Things audience than the last time. I like that. I can handle that. Uh, it's a Stranger Things summer. So life as we know it has kind of been turned upside down. And really we've been having a conversation about how uh, do we move forward or how do we respond in times of disruption. And so I'm excited to bring to you um, a word today on that. But hey, before I go on, there's someone I would love to honor and just celebrate, and that is my wife, Rebecca. Come on, can we give her? You have a fan club. Uh, you do have a fan club. Uh, that's awesome. She's my lovely wife. We have three children uh, between us. Can we put it up on the screen? Then we've got a picture of them. Aw, they're so cute. Uh, Charlie's the middle one, and then there's Lily and the bell dress, and then Oakley. Uh, she just turned one year old. And in case you're wondering, I am a girl dad. I embrace it. I embrace all things girl dad. Uh, I love the princesses. Uh, I can do the nails. They like to do my hair. Uh, as you can see from the photo, we love Disney. Uh, I say, uh, Mickey Mouse, take my money. Like, you can just have it all. Uh, Jesus, you can have it all. Mickey can have it all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but hey, speaking of kids, any parents in the room today, have you ever been awoken abruptly by your children? If you're a parent in the room and you've been awoken abruptly by your children, raise your hand. Okay, almost all of us. So this must be a common experience uh, that we have uh, if you are a parent. Well, this summer, uh, my children, especially Lily, uh, my middle one, uh, they have been waking up at what seems like 6 a.m. in the morning. Like the crack of dawn, they're waking up. Now, Lily, uh, she is special. We love her to death. Um, she uh, sleeps on the top bunk of our bed, and we do that uh, just so um, she can't get up and get out when we're trying to put her to bed at night. And like the great parents that we are, uh, we take the ladder off uh, so she can't keep getting up after trying to get her to go to sleep. Uh, it's a great plan, it's a brilliant plan, except at 6.07 in the morning when she wakes up and she wants to get out of the bed, and she can't get out of the bed, and so this is what she does. Um, imagine you're dead asleep and you hear your kid yelling this. Mommy, daddy. I mean, it is the worst 
I'm telling you, the pitch she hits, I don't know how she does, but it is the worst, most grating sound I've ever heard in my entire life. And if you're a parent, you know this. You kind of roll out of bed. Maybe you don't even get to your feet. You just kind of roll out of bed. And then you stand up and you kind of stumble blindly down the hallway. And you go and you get her and you're like, shh, you're going to wake up the other kids. And so you grab her and you bring her back uh, to your room. And you're hoping maybe she's going to go back to sleep. Parents, you guys know what happens, right? Ten minutes later, every single kid in the household is awake, uh, and then you have this great idea. You're like, okay, maybe I'm gonna outsmart them. I'm gonna take them downstairs, I'm gonna get them a snack, or I'm gonna put a show on, or I'm gonna give them a toy, and while they play and do the thing, I'm gonna crash on the couch and get like 20 more minutes of sleep. Anyone ever done that, you with me? Uh, and so this is what happens, you go down and you go do that, and then five minutes later, this is what happens. She pulled my hair, she took my toy. We can't watch this show, daddy, I want milk. And your whole morning just starts and you're just completely, I see you laughing over there. That's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Uh, and you're, before you know it, your whole morning has just been incredibly disrupted uh, and it starts off in chaos. Uh, someday, whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus. I'm like, hey, what happens when you put the kids to bed? And they're like these perfect little angels and they look so peaceful in their bed. And then they wake up in the morning and it's like the devil inhabits them. And you're like, what happens in the middle of the night? Someday I want to ask Jesus the answer to that question. To me, though, I think this is a picture of what our lives look like and what happened in 2020. All right? This is what happened in 2020. Uh, so let's jump in a time machine and we're gonna go back uh, to March 15th, 2020. Some of you are like, oh no, God, no, I don't want to go back to that. Uh, I've tried to move on past that. Well, we're gonna go back. Don't worry, we're not gonna stay there. Uh, but we go back to the beginning of 2020. March 15th happens. The world as we know it shuts down with COVID. We have our first online experience here. Uh, and we begin to try to figure out, okay, how do we do online church? What does this look like? How, how do we operate? Uh, how do we reach more people online? If you're watching online, uh, that's how we try to operate. And then we move on past that to we start gathering together again. The summer of 2020 happens, and it kicks off some of the greatest uh, civil rights protests of our time, uh, besides what happened with Martin Luther King. Uh, it happened in the wake of George Floyd being murdered, uh, and that was an incredible time. And then we move on to the fall of 2020, and we have the election, and then January 6th happens. No controversy there, am I right? No controversy there. Um, and then uh, 2021 comes along, and we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we open up? What does it look like to actually go back to normal post-COVID, and we have, uh, when's the mask mandate's gonna drop? Oh, the vaccine's coming out. Who's gonna get vaccinated? Uh, should we all get vaccinated before we have to go back to work? Do I need a vaccine passport before I show up to a concert? What does this look like? And we spend the entire rest of the year arguing with one another about how we're gonna come back post-COVID. And then the calendar flips to 2022, and there's this green, ugly little word uh, that I call inflation that you start to hear about. And you're like, oh, is that really going to affect us? Uh, before you know it, gas is $5 a gallon. Uh, Russia invades Ukraine. Uvalde happens at the end of the school year, and then Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I mean, that's a lot. Am I right? That's a lot for the last two years. And if you're like me, I've spent the last two years kind of running from one crisis to the next. And if I'm being honest and transparent with you today, uh, I'm exhausted. Are you exhausted? Are you tired? I'm exhausted uh, from moving from one thing to the next and trying to figure out how are we going to do this thing? How, how are we going to live life when it seems like there's just one major news cycle after the next? Now, it would be great if in the midst of all of this disruption, 
uh, if we decided collectively as humanity to all come together and kind of link arms and sing kumbaya and say, we can beat this, we can do this, uh, it'd be great if we all said, hey, together we can overcome the odds, together we can find our way through this and this disruption that comes. But how many of you know that's the exact opposite of what actually happened? That's the exact opposite of what happened. In fact, as I was getting ready to speak today, uh, I was just kind of reflecting on the last two years and I kind of realized this truth, uh, that disruption has led to disunity. Disruption has led to disunity. I feel like we're living in one of the most polarized moments of our time. But you could say that we're not the United States of America, we're the divided states of America. We all see it. You probably feel it. For example, uh, you probably have like that Facebook friend from high school that you're still friends with, uh, or maybe from college. And let's be honest, you really don't need to be friends with them on Facebook other than the fact that you like to stalk them occasionally on social media. Anyone do that? Okay, maybe just me. Okay, y'all are liars. Uh, it's church, you can't do that on a Sunday morning. And what happens is, is over the last two years you've seen them just out of nowhere start to post the most ridiculous things about COVID and, and masks and, and vaccines and science. And so what do you do? You put on your own uh, keyboard warrior outfit. You get up, you get dressed and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go to battle. I'm gonna correct them. And you hop on Facebook and you start commenting and you start typing. And you're like, hey, no, you're wrong about this. And see, what you don't realize is that your friend has 50 other keyboard warriors who are ready to go. And then all of a sudden people start posting links left and right and then you're called either a sheep or a conspiracy theorist based on which side of the argument you uh, fall on. Amen? That's what happens. Or how about this one? Uh, you've all been to a family gathering over the, the last year or two years. And it's not five minutes into that gathering when the crazy uncle or the crazy aunt or the crazy cousin, whatever crazy family member you want to throw into, uh, just starts talking politics. Like they pull up and they start talking shop. And before you know it, it's like, hey, the Democrats, they are the worst, they're ruining the country. Or no, the Republicans, man, they are out to get this place, they are out to control the government. And the only thing you can do is we have to save America from the other party. Like, what does that even mean, save America, by the way? I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to save America? And the only thing they say is, well, you just have to vote the party line. And so that means you close your eyes, you hold your nose, and you vote for whoever has a D or an R next to their name, just as long as uh, they have that distinction. And I wish I could say that this has only affected us kind of in our national politics or on the national scene, uh, but really it's affected us here in the church too. Like you would think that it wouldn't happen in the church, but it's been just as bad here in the church over the last two years. I mean, churches that I know and love and care about, pastors that I love and care about, they have struggled as they've tried to figure out how do you come back post-COVID? Do we actually have to follow the rules of uh, the government and the laws of the land or do we actually, uh, because of our religious freedom, say, no, we're gonna do what we want? Do we require masks? Do we not require masks? Uh, do we require vaccines? What does it look like? And I've seen people leave and get mad at leadership time and time again because they have not agreed with how the church has handled it. Or uh, think about this. Every cultural hot button topic issue that's come out over the last two years, racism, gun control, uh, abortion, all these things, uh, we have set up and we've prejudged uh, every church leader, every pastor, based on what they post or don't post, 
what their motives are. We don't take the time to actually get to know them. All right, and the minute that anyone tries to have any sort of like nuanced conversation around these really uh, hot button issues, uh, if, uh, we don't like that, and so we just cancel them instead. All right, and we just say, hey, uh, you don't agree with me, and then we're just gonna agree to go separate ways. I mean, this is what our world has been like for the last two years, am I right? See, I know this because uh, for me personally, uh, I've been guilty of doing almost all of these things. If I could tell you how many times I've hopped on my social media and I've looked at my stories and I've prejudged people or maybe prejudged their motives based on what they were saying or not saying, uh, if I could tell you how many times over the last uh, two years I've put my own preferences, I've put my own safety or my own comfort uh, over other people, man, it's, it's embarrassing if you were to see my inner thought life and what is actually there. Uh, maybe you've done the same thing. If you're here today, maybe you feel like, yeah, if I'm being honest, uh, that, that's been me. Maybe I've gone too far on Facebook. Maybe uh, today I'm the one who at the family reunion, I actually start the politics conversation. Maybe that's you. And here's what I know. There is nothing that's more confusing than disunity. I mean, it's hard to know in today's world really uh, how to move forward. I mean, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know who my circle is. I personally have felt this tension in my life. I mean, I've had to sit across from people friends, even family members that I know and that I love and know that we're never going to see quite eye to eye on these things. And because we don't see quite eye to eye on politics or COVID or whatever it is, that there's always just going to be a wall there. And that's hard because these are people that you would normally be able to trust on. You know, there'd be people that you'd normally be able to count on, to lean on. And all of a sudden you can't. And that's when I realized something uh, that's true, that not only has disruption led to disunity, but disunity is disorienting. Like, it's disorienting. We don't know which way is forward. We don't know how to actually connect with other people. Friends that we thought we could count on are no longer our friends. What was right is now wrong. We're in the middle of an incredible amount of disunity and it's disorienting. And here's what I know, maybe you walked into this place today or maybe you're watching online and you're like, man, I thought I was the only one who felt this. Like I thought I was the only one who felt this way uh, that was confused about where to go forward or, or how to move forward. Can I just say, if we're being honest with ourselves today, that everyone in this room probably feels that way. We're all confused. We don't know which way is forward or which way is backwards or how we're actually gonna move out of this moment. And here's what I know, that feeling of feeling like you're alone, the devil wants you to feel that way. In fact, if you want an insider look into how the devil operates, you can just look at how he's operated the last two years. Here's what he has done. The devil has leveraged disruption to disconnect us and then he's seeking us out to destroy us. Did you know the scriptures say that he's like a prowling lion and he walks around and he stalks and he's looking to devour you and I? And let me tell you, the stats are in. People are, have left the church in droves post-COVID. 
uh, people are more anxious than ever. They're more scared than ever. They're dealing with de uh, depression more than ever, suicidal thoughts uh, more than ever. We're isolated, we're alone, we feel like we can't even have relationships with people anymore. This is the moment that we find ourselves in here on August 7th, 2022. And so the question is, how do we begin to move forward? How do we begin to move forward? Can I be honest with you today? I've got three girls, you saw them up there, Charlie, Lily, and Oakley. In my worst moments, I'm afraid that the future for them is gonna be worse than the current reality that I live in. Does anyone else feel that way about your kids? That's real. I, 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 in fact, I remember getting ready for this series, uh, and I think it was the group chat with Pastor Tim and Pastor Russ and I, we were just talking about this, and normally uh, I would say I'm an optimist, uh, I would put myself in that category. Pastor Tim was talking about week one that says, hey, I think the best of what's to come, but I gotta be real with you. I mean, it's hard sometimes to actually see any good in the world. And so how do we move forward in this moment of cultural disruption that's brought on this incredible disunity? And I think we can actually begin to look forward by looking backwards first. Did you know this is not the only moment in human history where humans have felt so disrupted? It's not the only moment. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of the early church, uh, you would see that the early church knows a little bit something about disruption. You see, uh, this uh, movement, this way of Christian living uh, began to grow so rapidly uh, that the influence of Christianity spread first from Jerusalem to Samaria and then eventually made its way all the way to Rome. Now, Rome was the biggest nation, the baddest nation in the known world at the time, all right? And it had built its reputation on military conquest and the utmost devotion to Rome and to Caesar. And this, um, uh, this way of living, this Roman way of living was threatened by Christianity. And so Rome does what Rome knows how to do best. And it begins to persecute and kill and hunt down and murder Christians. Anyone ever heard of Emperor Nero? Everyone heard of Emperor Nero? A few of you? A few of you paid attention in history class. I like it. I like it. I love history. Um, he starts a fire, uh, and it's called Nero's Fire. It ends up burning uh, over half the city of Rome. He was, a, he was really a madman, but what does he do? He, he blames it on Christians, and thousands of them are drugged into the Colosseum and thrown before the lions. Uh, by the way, uh, war was always a constant threat in the ancient world. Plagues and diseases were rampant in the ancient world. I'm pretty sure the early church knew a thing or two about disruption. In fact, so much so that in order to avoid uh, detection by the Roman authorities, the early church would meet uh, first thing in the morning uh, before sunrise on the first day of the week. By the way, they didn't have a weekend in the ancient world, uh, and so it was a work day. So can you imagine how full this place would be if we said, hey, next week we're starting our 5 a.m. service on a Monday morning? Who'd show up to that? Oh, wow. Uh, none of you? I'm shocked. I'm really shocked. So it's in this moment that Paul... One of the writers of the New Testament, he actually wrote most of the New Testament, writes something that I think is really important for us today. And by the way, Paul himself, uh, in what he's about to write to us, he's experiencing his own moment of disruption. 
See, Paul was a missionary, and he was really one of the main dudes responsible uh, for bringing the gospel of Jesus to most of the known world. And so uh, he has all these plans to, to go to Rome and share the gospel there, and then scholars say he was going to go on to uh, Gaul, which is modern-day Spain, and share the gospel. Uh, but see, Rome had caught wind and heard about what Paul was doing, and so it had grabbed him and captured him and thrown him into prison. And so as he writes... Uh, to the church in Ephesus, which is where we're gonna read it from today. He's writing this in the middle of a jail cell. Now there's nothing more disrupting than actually being thrown in jail. I can imagine, your whole life, you have plans, you have a future, you have desires, and all of a sudden it's just all that's done and you're thrown into jail. And so if you have your Bibles, open up them to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, and we're gonna start on verse one. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. It should be on the screens in front of you today. Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let me stop there. As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul's in prison. His whole life has been disrupted. Everything, all of his plans, everywhere he's going, it's been completely stopped. So it's in the middle of his own disruption that he writes these words to us. Now, I know he's writing to the church in Ephesus, but really he's writing to us today because we're descendants of that church. And he writes these words. He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now what calling is Paul talking about here? What calling is Paul talking about? It's, it's the calling that Jesus gave to every single person who is his follower, which statistically most of you in this room would say, hey, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christ follower. So if that's you, then Jesus gave this following or this calling, this command to us. He said this, and it's really, really simple. He boiled it down to two simple things. He said, you're to love God and love people. Love God and love people. See, I think we've really complicated this Christianity thing. We really have made it about uh, hey, we need to look good and show up to church and then when the worship hits just right, we're gonna raise our hands and we're gonna do all this and then uh, we're gonna go out and we're gonna eat a meal and then we're gonna uh, go maybe to a small group thing during the week and then we're gonna do all this stuff. I'm not saying all that stuff is bad. This stuff is really good. We should worship, we should gather in community, we should do those things. But I think we've really missed what perhaps is the most important thing that Jesus actually calls us to do and that's to love people. Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by the way you what? Love one another. We've forgotten how to love. And see, I think that's where the disconnect is from the past two years. We, we've forgotten how to love one another. And here's what I know. When we forget how to love each other, boy, it's really hard to be in relationship with people if you don't know how to love them. And I think inside each and every one of us, there's this desire that we have for a rich, meaningful connection, relationships with others. But how many of us, if we're being honest today, are struggling to find that with anyone? Could it be that perhaps you've actually elevated your own preferences, your own way of thinking, uh, and because of that, it's really hard to actually find meaningful connection with anyone? Um, <laughs> for the past four or five years, uh, on Monday nights, I've been getting together with a group of friends, uh, and we'll uh, talk shop, politics, a, a few other things. Uh, we'll play uh, some games together. I'm not going to tell you which game the staff knows, and then make fun of me for it. 
Um, so we won't say that. But uh, we get together and we play. And this group is really eclectic. Uh, so there is uh, a pastor, there's a doctor, there's two lawyers, and two real estate investors. I mean, how much? It's like a joke, right? Like uh, these people walk into the store. It's like the beginning of a bad joke. And we have people who are extreme on all ends. I've got some extreme liberal friends in that group, and I've got some extreme conservative friends in that group. And I can tell you this uh, my life has been shaped informed, and I'm richly blessed to have these people in my life. Different perspectives that can challenge me and shape me. Some of us are looking for connection in the world, but we're missing out because we're only looking for it in people who actually think and agree with everything the way we think and agree on the world. And we're missing it. We're missing part of the human experience. Now, I think Paul knew it was going to be hard for us to do this, and so that's why he gives us some really practical tips. And so in verse two, look there in your scriptures for me, verse two, Paul says this. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be humble and be gentle. Paul, are you sure it wasn't preach the truth and win every Facebook argument? No, that's not what he said. Well, okay, Paul, maybe what you meant to say was, uh, be completely humble and patient towards people who agree with our beliefs. No. He says, be humble and be patient, be gentle with all people, with everyone. Now, I know this doesn't play very well. I know even right now, you're probably thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but that's not actually reality. And you know why? It's because in, in our American Western brains, uh, it's not your fault, by the way. We are hardwired for competition and for strength. We elevate uh, our strengths. We elevate our gifting. That's why we take strengths finders, uh, times, uh, stuff at work. That's why we do that. We, actually, we want to succeed. I love the quote from, uh, remember the Titans, the coach, Herman Boone, he says this. He goes, I'm a winner. I'm going to win. That's our mindset. We want to win all the time. All I do is win-win. Some of you got that reference. Paul says, be humble, be gentle. I love this definition of humility. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking about less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Can you imagine what the world would look like if we actually started thinking of ourselves less? Novel idea, I know, but can you imagine what it would look like like, what if you, we actually went out into our community and we saw that waitress that was really struggling because uh, they have no help, staff is short, all right, customers are banging on the door, where's my food? And instead of getting mad and not leaving a tip because we're frustrated because of lack of their service, we take time to actually see them as a human being. Yeah. Can you imagine what the world would look like if we actually all decided to come together and do that? See, I'm convinced that the human experience would be a more peaceful one if we all started shifting our mindsets towards love. There's so much strife in the world today. So much anger. There's so much confusion. What if we all said collectively, hey, I'm gonna predetermine that every interaction that I have with another human being, I'm gonna choose to love them. I'm gonna keep going because I think there's something that Paul says in verse three that's really important. It's really where I wanna land this morning. So if your scriptures follow on, Paul says this. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, make every effort, not just some of the time, not just when you feel like it. Paul, who's in the middle of his own really disruptive moment, talking to a really disrupted church, says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I started this morning talking about how all of this disruption that we've experienced has led to an incredibly disunified moment. And the question is, is how do we move forward? Well, the answer is simple, you have a choice. And it really, I believe this, that unity is a choice. You can choose unity. Unity is a choice. If you're here in this room and you're a Christ follower, you're someone who says, yes, I, I signed up to follow Jesus. Jesus says, you need to love God and love people. Listen, we are called to be a community of love. We're called to love each other no matter what. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to bear grievances towards each other in love. That's what we're called to do. This is so important, we can't miss this church because if I'm being really honest, one of my biggest fears is, is that when I look at the church for the last two years, I think we've missed a really incredible opportunity to show the world what it means to actually love each other. We've missed it. But I think we have an opportunity moving forward to show people how we're gonna do that. By the way, unity is really important to Jesus. It's really important to him. You know how I know that? Because he prayed for it. He prayed for it, did you know that? He was getting ready to die, all right? He was getting ready to be crucified. And so he, many of you know the story. He goes off and he starts to pray. And you would think in that moment that he would be praying for his church to explode and for hundreds and millions of people to come to know him. Or you would think that maybe he would be praying for his disciples, that they uh, would be filled with the Spirit and they would be able to spread uh, the good news. Or maybe he'd be praying for himself, like, hey, uh, God, I don't really wanna go through this. Would you take it away? Instead, he prays for this. And I'm gonna put it up on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but it's, it's in John 17, verse 20 and 21. He says this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. He prayed for our unity. He prayed that we would be one. Can I ask this question right now? If you were to give yourself a letter grade for how good you have done at loving other people the last two years, what grade would you get? What grade would you get? Maybe you were the person, like I said, that hopped on Facebook. Maybe you're the person that when you got frustrated with a leadership decision or the leadership of this country or, or a church or wherever, and you hopped on and, and you were pretty vocal about it, maybe even mean about it. Maybe you're the person that every time there's an opportunity that comes to bash the other party, you, you hop into that and you're just blowing people up. What letter grade would you give yourself for the last two years? 
Here's what I know. Unity is so important. And many of us, I think, have this desire to see the world actually be a better place. See, I think, I think while we sometimes struggle to actually love one another, I actually do think that inside each and every one of us, we do have a desire to make the world a better place. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I was afraid for the future that my children were gonna be stepping into. I have a desire to create a better future for my children. I think we all do. But here's the, the reality, here's the truth. I think so many of us are so concerned with making sure we believe the right thing, making sure that we hold the right values, that we sign up with the winning side, that we miss the opportunity to love others. And can I just say this? Based on what Jesus prayed, that you actually will change more people's hearts if you love them than speaking the truth to them. Let me say it this way. Love will change the world faster than truth. Love will change the world faster than truth. Now don't get me wrong. It's important to have conviction. It's important to know what you believe. It's important to know who Jesus is. It's important to know what scripture says. I'm not saying you should just throw that all out the door. Yes, it's important. But you know what scripture says? Scripture says to love others. Love will change the world faster than truth. And you know what? Even in a moment before the series started where I was losing some of my optimism, I think I can be optimistic about the future of the church. You know why? Because the church has chosen unity before. In the midst of all of the disruption and uh, all the chaos that the early church was born into, they decided to come together. And you know what's crazy about the way the church operated is the church said, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a Roman senator, a Roman soldier, a Roman military commander, a Roman master, Roman craftsman, tradesman, or even a Roman slave. We can all come together and be equal at the foot of Jesus. It's the same, the same truth is true today as it was back then. And here's what I know. The early church believed that so much that it actually transformed an entire nation. This nation that made its hay on conquering others and dominating others was overtaken by a religion of love. So much so that around the year 300 something, you can look it up, Constantine, the emperor, declared Christianity the national religion of Rome. The church has chosen unity before and it's changed the world. You wanna know how to move forward? You wanna know how to make a difference? You wanna know how to make the world a better place? Choose love. Choose to live in love and peace and unity with as many people as you possibly can. I know it's not cool. I know it feels like you're getting stepped on sometimes when you do that. Yeah, I think Jesus knew that. By the way, he was killed and he didn't deserve to be killed. But he won. He won. I really believe that. I wanna close with this story. Um, I started talking about my kids at the beginning and I think there's so much we can learn from kids, by the way. Kids uh, have so much that they can teach us. Uh, there was a moment, it was, I think it was last week, um, Dad, you can relate with me on this. I was, I had this plan for my Saturday. I was gonna clean the garage, all right? And then I was gonna mow the lawn. And then I was gonna do some other housework. And then I was gonna do dinner, get the kids in bed. And that way I could watch the movie I wanted to watch and go to bed at a decent time. I had it all planned out in my head. It was perfect. Dads, can you understand? Can you relate with me? You have this grand plan. So the kids are outside in the garage and they're playing with me. Charlie and Lily are. They're having a good time. They're doing whatever. And Lily gets up on the mower. 
and she's playing and it's cute and she's, you know, pretending to hawk the horn and drive the big mower and all this stuff or whatever. Uh, now here's the thing, the key is actually in the ignition uh, in the mower. And so she grabs it and she actually takes it out of the ignition uh, and there was a little slot uh, next to where it is and she thought, oh, this must be where the ignition is. And so she puts the key in there and she drops it. What she doesn't realize is she drops it behind the engine bay. And I gotta be honest with you, I blew up in that moment. Dads, can you relate? What are you doing? I can't believe that you would drop the key into the engine. How dare you? You can't do that. Do you realize that I can't get that key out? What are you gonna do? I mean, I blew up on her. And I spent the next hour, I mean, I, don't, I got big old hands. I spent the next hour, like, bent over the mower, like, trying to, like, fish this key out, uh, got the wire hanger, you doing everything. Eventually I got the key out. I know all of you are really concerned about that. <laughs> but it was in that moment where I lost my temper that she looked at me and said this. Now, before I tell you what she said, I gotta set something up. So every night, whenever I put Lily to bed, we have this little ritual that we do. She looks at me and she says, Daddy, I give you my heart. And she literally goes like this. And she gives me her heart. And then I take it and I say, here you go. And then I said, and I give you my heart. And I give her my heart. That's what we do every night before we go to bed. And in that moment where I lost my temper and lost my cool and I'm this you know, big old guy and she's this little four-year-old, she goes, she looks at me and tears are starting to form in her eyes and she goes, Daddy, I'm taking my heart back and you can never have it back. Yeah. By the way, that's like the worst moment as a parent when you realize that you've lost it. You lost your cool. And so you gotta do one of the most humbling things in the world. And you know, after I got done getting the key out and I cooled down a little bit, I found her and I was like, Lily, I'm so sorry. Um, I didn't mean to hurt you. I, I, Daddy was just frustrated, but I'm sorry for yelling at you. You know what I love about kids? Kids, they do what they always Forgive. But always forgive. And she looked at me and said, Daddy, it's okay. I still love you. Daddy, it's okay. I still love you. And as I was getting ready for today, I realized the power of that moment. What does it look like for us even when we disagree with someone, we don't agree with their views, maybe someone offends us? Because here's what I know. Uh, it sounds great to say, hey, you need to love everyone, but then the minute you go into work tomorrow and your boss is up, uh, you know, trying to get you to do something, you don't even realize it, or the minute that the family member starts a conversation and you get annoyed and frustrated again, it, it, it's not easy to choose love in that moment. But I want to learn from my daughter. And I want to learn to look at people and say, hey, it's okay. I still love you. It's okay. There's grace for you. It's okay, I forgive you. Can you imagine what the world would look like if it looked at a church, at a community of people, and we were all practicing this? They'd say, man, there's something different about that group of people, and I want whatever they have. It can change the world. It really can. Come on, would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our midst, what you're doing in our lives. 
Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word, Lord. I know that sometimes scripture is, isn't easy. And it can be so simple and it can be so easy, but putting it into practice can be so hard. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you come in this moment. Lord, would you convict us? Lord, will you show us where over the last two years, maybe we have missed the mark. Maybe we haven't loved others. Maybe we haven't lived in unity the way we should. Hey, with every head bowed and every eye closed, um, I just wanna give a moment for you all to have a second with God. And maybe today, as you're standing here and you're listening to me, if you're being honest with yourself, you'd say, hey, uh, that letter grade I gave myself, it was a failing grade. I haven't loved very well over the last two years. I, I believe there's power in confession and doing business with God. If that's you, if you're willing to be honest with no one looking around, would you just lift your hand in the air? Maybe you haven't loved very well. Maybe you haven't shown enough grace over the last two years. I see hands up all over the room. Listen, what I love about Jesus is that he's always willing to bring grace and bring forgiveness. Do you mind if I pray for you? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for the people in the room whose hands are lifted up. Lord, I just pray that right now by your spirit, you would bring forgiveness to them. God, I know that whenever we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And Lord, I know that, Lord, as people are doing business with you, that Lord, there's grace and mercy that comes from that. Lord, I pray that this would be a community that's known for the way we love one another. And Lord, I pray that when the outside world looks at this place, they would see you, Lord, your name, the name above all other names, be lifted high. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. It's in your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.